Welcome to the Making Kids Count podcast brought to you by Kentucky Youth Advocates, where we sit down with policymakers, community leaders, and youth to discuss ideas to make Kentucky the best place to be young. Now here's your host, Terry Brooks. This is Terry Brooks. Thanks for tuning in to the Making Kids Count podcast. We at KYA are continuing our COVID-19 in Kentucky Kids series today, where we're diving into the immediate and longer-term impact of the pandemic on Kentucky's kids and the various systems that influence their lives. Today, we're looking at the all-important impact of the pandemic on the healthcare sector in terms of both families and kids specifically. I am joined by three experts in the health sector. All three are such valued partners to KYA. All three are genuine voices when it comes to kids and families throughout the Commonwealth. Veronica Cecil is Vice President for Policy at the Foundation for a Healthy Kentucky. She previously served as Deputy Commissioner in the Kentucky Department for Medicaid Services, pulling a somewhat magical act working for both Governors Steve Bashir and Matt Bevan. Dr. Julia Richardson is one of our real go-to experts. Dr. Richardson is a pediatrician who practices in Louisville at a family health center. And our third guest is Dr. Nikki Stone, who is the dental director for the University of Kentucky North Fork Valley Community Health Center in Hazard. And we work very closely with Dr. Stone through the Kentucky Oral Health Coalition. So Veronica, Julia, and Nikki, I know that you guys are crazy busy uh, always, but especially during these unprecedented times. Welcome, and we really appreciate you taking time to talk about kids, families, and health in the midst of these unprecedented times. So, so welcome. We'd like to start with a macro view. Uh, we have seen that recent federal response legislation, the Families First Coronas Response Act and the CARES Act, included legislation and funding related to health coverage. So. Veronica, since you're sort of the policy whiz on this broadcast, wondering if you could give us an overview of what those did, how that federal legislation will impact kids and families, especially in terms of anything missing that you believe should be included in future legislation. Additionally, I would really like your perspective on what Kentucky's Cabinet for Health and Family Services need to be doing to make sure that no one is kicked off their coverage, that families still have access to the care they need. So why don't you riff a little on that broad policy front, Veronica? Hi, Terry. Thank you so much. And it's my pleasure to be on this today, um, especially given what's going on. Um, the foundation uh, is very interested in making sure everyone is aware of uh, what you know what's out there for them um how, what can they do in this in this time of, of great need so thank you for having us be a part of this 
Um, it, in general, um, the the Family First Coronavirus Response Act and the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, both passed um, in mid-March, have provided some, um, what I would say is a greater flexibility um, right now with go what's going on with the healthcare industry. Um, and this will allow, I believe, families and children to um, have better access to care during this time, um, so they don't need to be worried about um, what's going on with my benefits. Um, it right it, right now it tempor temporarily relaxes enforcement of certain standards. So what that means is um, providers can um, be more more um, flexible and innovative in how they're providing services to um, our our families and our children. Um, and not have to worry about is, uh, you know, the federal government or the state government um, going to um, provide a, a strong enforcement during this time. Um, it does require that items or services related to the diagnosis of COVID-19 be provided without cost sharing or prior authorizations. Um, so that means that if there are people who believe that they um, are infected, that they have the capability of accessing services to get that diagnosis without having to worry about whether there's, um, you know, a copay or, or a deductible, um, they are able to access those services without cost and without having to go through what can sometimes be very difficult process of getting a prior authorization. There's also um, a great deal of flexibility now with respect to telehealth and other remote care services. Um, and so um, it really has expanded who can provide um, what normally would have been a face-to-face -face or required face-to-face -face service can now be provided through telehealth. Hey, um, Veronica, can I, 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 Veronica, can I sure. interrupt you just for one second? And I'm wondering, uh, doctors Richardson and Stone. It is not an accident that uh, one of you serve uh, an urban area and one serve a, a rural area. So uh, Veronica actually stole a question that I was going to pose later and I thought I'd just interject this. Can both of you talk uh, telehealth and the particular populations that you serve? Because again, demographically, uh, they're so diverse, I think it might be helpful to tag on to Veronica's uh, point. And then Veronica, we'll come back to you. But uh, Julia and Nikki, can you talk a little bit about uh, telehealth uh, in your own uh, region and practice? Sure. <clears throat> Nikki, I'll go first. This is um, Julia. So a couple of uh, things that um, come to mind, um, we've been doing um, telephonic telehealth at our office and are kicking off video telemedicine this week. Um, one thing we've noticed is for right now, many, many families, um, as a pediatrician, um, we've noticed many, many families are declining to come to the office and we really have to speak with them for those visits that do need to be in person. Um, and so um, there are, um, there's not a high volume of patients seeking care. So this is a great opportunity to be able to provide some advice and some care over the phone and potentially by video. 
So a couple of things. One is the um, over half of the families I work with speak a language other than English. Um, and so um, we long had the technology to be able to make phone calls using an interpreter. So that's good. We have that that process um, down really well. Um, but um, we are a little bit worried about later in the week as far as starting the video calls. Um, every video technology for telemedicine is different. Um, and so there are some technological challenges in the best of situations. Um, but we know that um, with challenges around bandwidth and internet access and even data minutes, we don't know what's going to happen when we try to reach out um, by video conference uh, or by video visits with um, our families to try to provide care in that way. Um, but we have been using um, the telephone a lot um, to try to um, provide access to services um, that we can provide by phone. Okay, and Nikki, what about you in terms of what's the scene in uh, in uh, rural eastern Kentucky on this? Sure. Um, first of all, tele-dentistry was not something that was available in Kentucky before this COVID crisis occurred. So it's kind of hit us real suddenly. Um, we're scrambling around in the dental community statewide to try and quickly figure out how to do tele-dentistry. Um, in a very limited capacity because we are also under the guidelines of emergency care only um, and no elective care. And dentistry obviously is a very hands-on uh, occupation, so that's a yeah. little challenging for us to figure out. We visualize things, we look at x-rays and all of that. So obviously the biggest challenges that are specific to rural Kentucky are those related to technology again not everyone in this area has a computer and not everyone even has a smartphone so to make that assumption that we'll be able to do a a, a zoom or a facetime type call where we can look at each other um, is is just not the reality here and even for those who might have a computer or a smartphone Wi-Fi availability is also very limited. It's it's costly. Not a lot of people pay for that. Um, and so it's just a, a big challenge technologically as well as just in the dental field in general. So listeners, as just as a reminder, when we talk to uh, folks around the K-12 sector with COVID, one of the issues that came up was the digital divide. What I'm hearing from uh, both Julia and Nikki, is that digital divide is still very much an issue, not just with kids and schools and learning, but with families and health and, and uh, tele, telecare. So, uh, Veronica, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just felt like that uh, that was a great way to amplify your point about uh, telehealth. So why don't you pick up uh, from where you were when I rudely interrupted you, okay? Oh, no, that's fine. And and just a couple of other things related to telehealth um, is that uh, what has been also ex expanded, because when you think of telehealth, you do think of a video type interaction. Um, the, the state has um, clarified that if that can't happen because everybody doesn't have that ability, that uh, it is you can deliver telehealth over a telephone. Um, the only exception to that is if 
you know, you have to have, you, it's a visual information that you have to um, acquire through that visit with the provider, then the provider needs to facilitate some other way to get that visual information. Um, so as, as um, was mentioned, um, you know, telehealth is great when you have the capability. Um, what we're seeing now is, is because of people not being able to do in-face interactions, um, they are trying to find ways to um, expand what those options are. And uh, telephone might be it. They, they're now allowing, they're, they're waiving certain enforcement of um, what would be required to be HIPAA. Um, so, you know, making sure that it's not a public-facing um, application. So they're allowing FaceTime, they're allowing Facebook ma Messenger video chat, um, Skype, uh, you know, some of these others that, um, that as long as they're not public facing services. So just to kind of let you understand that we are talking about a pretty expansive um, use of, of telehealth during this time. I was just going to chime in one more thing on um, the telemedicine um, issue. This is Julia, that um, I think um, for those of us, um, you know, working in this, it's right now we're really focused on the mechanics. How do we get the technology? How do we support um, families that may not have, um, you know, um, Internet and things like that? But I think Nikki could attest to this as well. We, I mean, I think we all have very serious clinical reservations about all of a sudden not seeing people in person and trying to provide care. And I, I think that needs to be acknowledged and that families need to know that if they're in a situation that they're on, say they're on a phone call or they're on a video call and they're uncomfortable, they think that it's just not going right. They need to ask to escalate that to an in-person visit, whether that be in the doctor's office or the emergency room. I think we, uh, I think we could make the mistake of saying, well, this is the best we have, but we can always escalate to an in-person visit. Great point. That's true. So, right. That yeah, is, that Veronica, is go ahead on a, on a policy yeah. lens. Anything else? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of other really, I think, um, important parts of this is that Medicaid coverage has been extended um, until the state of emergency ends. Um, I think that's really important for people to understand, especially when they know that they're up for reapplication, um, that they don't have to worry about going through um, or, or dealing with that right now. Um, and um, other programs have been automatically extended for three months as well, um, SNAP, WIC. Um, so right now, if, if you are already on benefits and you are, this is a time where you would normally have to reapply, um, that is not necessary. There have been other components of these programs, for instance, <coughs> requirements around SNAP, um, there are a lot of these requirements have also been suspended during this time. Um, so uh, just keep that in mind. Um, and then, um, you know, the state has just to focus more on Kentucky, um, the, the state has really done a great job in um, taking advantage of all of the um, waivers that are available out there during this time to um, help um, increase access to care. Um, they have, they also have opened, as we mentioned, up the telehealth. Um, 
they have suspended all cost sharing. So not just the cost sharing related to COVID-19 diagnosis, but all cost sharing and prior authorizations during this time. So um, people- Except for are, pharmaceuticals. Pharmaceuticals, PAs are still in place. Oh, I'm so, yes, you're correct about uh, PAs for pharmacy. Yes, thank you. Um, but co the cost sharing, the pharmacy copay um, and copay for any other services during this time, the state has, um, and the managed care organizations ha have been really great in working with the state and ensuring that um, people, again, are not running into barriers to be able to access services during this time. Great. Thanks so much. That's a a lot to swallow, and uh, you synthesize that really well, Veronica. Hey, Nikki, I'm wondering, uh, I'm going to talk to you and Julia in just a second about access and guidance for parents. I, I know that the Kentucky Oral Health Coalition uh, put out a, a really informative uh, infographic, uh, kind of giving guidance to, to folks around, uh, you know, how to seek dental care. Can you first of all give us an overview of that? What what coaching, what guidance can you give to moms and dads trying to figure out uh, what is and isn't available? And then I want to ask you a follow up question uh, before we go to Dr. Richardson and ask her that access question on a on a broader basis. Absolutely. Um... So the document that we created is a one-page infographic in which we tried to simplify the guidance that we were getting from both the state and the American Dental Association in regards to uh, what kind of care could be provided in a dental office um, and when a family should actually go to an emergency room. One of the main goals of that document was to keep people away from the emergency room, which is oftentimes where people seek dental care when they don't know what else to do. And so we're trying to reserve the hospitals and the emergency rooms just to deal with the COVID situation. So it's real clear on there that there are only three instances in which you would ever want to go to a hospital emergency room, and those are uncontrolled bleeding or if you were having trouble breathing or swallowing due to some kind of an infection that was swelling really quickly or due to any kind of trauma to bones or anything like that. So those are the only times that you would definitely want to go to an emergency room. Otherwise, the guidance is really clear that what we want to do is deal only with urgent dental issues in the dental office at this time. So anything that you would consider just an elective, regular, routine visit for a cleaning, an exam, x-rays, even fillings or extractions that you know you needed, but if it's not hurting, we're not dealing with it right now. Um, and so what you get to is just a little set of things, like if you're having pain with a toothache or if you have some other kind of painful situation, your gums are being cut by, orthodontic wire that's sticking in your cheek, something like that, those things that are really urgent are the only ones that we want someone to seek care for. And in general, right now, most dental offices are essentially closed. So the best thing to do is to call. Don't just drive up, but call first. Find out what your specific dental office is doing currently and talk to someone over the phone and make that decision together. And as Veronica mentioned before, 
right now, just that phone call, even without any kind of visual information, um, can be billed as a teledentistry visit. So that's helpful. Okay. And, and Nikki, let me ask you, a, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, in general, I think that what we're seeing across the state is that most private dental offices are either closed or doing very limited care. We have our network of primary care dental offices, um, which are like the community health centers, the federally qualified health centers, the rural health centers. The vast majority of those, actually all but one, are open across the state. There are 18 or so of them. They are open. The universities are open. Regular dental offices are not necessarily open, but may be coming in for specific things. And what we're seeing is that everybody is trying to do this teledentistry thing, but it's not the norm. It's not what parents or families or just general average Kentuckians are used to. So we're getting very few of those teledentistry calls coming in. So that's kind of the word we need to get out is if you're having a dental problem, don't just sit at home and suffer with it. Don't go to the emergency room. Keep calling around until you find a dental office that is open that you can talk to someone. Yeah, so Dr. Richardson, uh, a question that I have sort of in that same line of access, can you coach us up, especially talking to those moms and dads, and you, you sort of have alluded to this earlier, uh, most health providers have had to close their doors for non-emergency visits and procedures. Walk us through your best thinking uh, quality recommendations to moms and dads when it comes to their little boys and little girls. Uh, you know, when do you seek care? How do you seek care? Uh, what about things like wellness checkups? Are you supposed to do that? You're not supposed to do that. Uh, coach us up on uh, on how a mom or dad should handle the landscape right now. Sure. So, um, so the most important thing to remember is if your child is sick, do not just sit at home. Um, seek care either first call um, your your um, primary care provider's office. If it's the weekend, there's always somebody on call that you can speak with. Um, always call and ask and get more information because um, we we don't want families to feel isolated around healthcare right now. Um, and if your child is in significant distress, definitely take them to the emergency room. We we would we do not want people to sit at home in fear and watch a child get worse and worse and worse, and then end up taking a child to the hospital too late. And that doesn't necessarily pertain to COVID specifically, but but any illness. We want families to trust their judgment, pay close attention to their child, and and seek care right away if they have questions. Um, Children do contract COVID-19. Um, I think there's some myths out there that children don't get it, but they certainly do. They typically don't become quite as seriously ill and critically ill as adults, but they are they become sick and they are contagious, and we need to, to remember that. As far as wellness visits, this is tough to give general advice because every office is doing this differently, which is good, but... Um, it makes it hard for families to really understand. So call your um, regular um, primary care provider for specific advice. But remember that the newborn visits are crucial 
we really need families to, to follow up for those newborn visits and immediate follow-up visits because they're, those are extremely important visits. Infant vaccines, the two, four, six, 12, 15-month vaccines are vital. We call those the primary series, and it's extremely important to get those on time. Um, as well as the flu vaccine, we still are seeing some influenza, and we need to make sure that children, young children, have gotten those flu vaccines. Wellness visits over the age of two. Um, most practices are postponing. Um, however, some practices have completely changed their operation, and maybe on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, they're seeing sick children, and they're doing all the sick visits because they feel like they have been able to keep their office safe enough um, for, um, for those sick visits. So the bottom line is newborn visits must be kept. Those are extremely important. Early vaccinations up through the age of, you know, some pediatricians say 15 months, some pediatricians would say age two must be kept. But those well visits work directly with your, with your regular source of care and find out um, how they're coordinating those visits. Um, I do think it's important, though, now, you know, you mentioned the impact on, on our industry is huge um, nationally and probably locally. There's some practices that will go out of business um, because of this extended period of no income. Mm. And um, so right now, go ahead and call your regular source of care. Schedule your well visits for June and July so that you have those ready. You beat the rush and um, give those practices the financial support and planning that they, they need to be doing right now. I think all that's really important. That's, uh, that's, that's a great piece of advice. Uh, so as we close this podcast, uh, all three of you are such thoughtful, wise leaders. I I'm wondering if you could offer just some final thoughts, encouragements. Uh, what's going on in your brain and your heart right now? Uh, when you think about kids, families, and the health systems in the midst of this pandemic. Uh, Nikki, let's start with you. Sure. I think that we are going to look different coming out of this than we do right now in dentistry. Um, and that was a positive thing that came out of the 80s with the HIV AIDS epidemic. Um, we started wearing gloves. We started being much more conscious about infection control so dentistry is going to look different but it's probably going to be better we're also really excited that teledentistry is getting up and running and maybe some of us would have dragged our feet on that but now we're our feet are being held to the fire so we're getting in there and we're figuring out workflows for teledentistry all across the state i'm especially excited about the opportunities to use teledentistry in dental outreach into schools into head start centers um, even into community settings and homes so i think that coming out of this that's going to be a really positive part of the changes that COVID has brought into the dental community Thanks, Terry. This is Veronica. You know, um, in terms of, I think, positivity, I really believe the state has set up a system um, and has allowed for people to access information um, around this in in a way that, that keeps them informed. Um, and they've taken steps that will... Um, ensure that everybody can continue to have access to services. Um, they, they are 
very concerned about that. Um, that's been demonstrated in the actions they've taken to date. Um, you know, one thing I, I didn't get to mention before, but right now there's a basically a one-page healthcare coverage application that um, it, anybody who doesn't have coverage right now can uh, <coughs> and apply for that. Um, it's, it's temporary coverage that ends on June 30th, but you can take that application and, um, and get that coverage basically, you know, just by applying. And um, then you can go on and, and apply for Medicaid later on. But, you know, the state is taking steps. They really want to help people during this time. Um, and what, what I want definitely your listeners to understand is there are, there are lots of ways to access that help. Um, and, and it's difficult to not be able to go into an office and see somebody face to face. And I understand that. Um, but you, if you can call, they are there, um, ready, willing, and able to help. And so I think it's important for people to, to take that step to call and get the help that you need because they are there to provide it. Julia? Yeah, this is Julia. So a um, couple of thoughts. One is I think we need, we are, um, you know, approaching the peak in Kentucky, which um, is fantastic. And we're, we all feel so lucky that we haven't yet been as hard hit as many states. But I still think um, there are opportunities. We're, I'm looking toward our recovery phase. And I think there are a lot of opportunities by looking at other state, states and how they're managing, supporting financially um, medical practices and the medical community with things like um, enhanced per member per month rate to help bolster this um, issue around financial recovery for practices because we won't have access to care if we lose practices because of the financial burden that this has, um, uh, has created. And the other um, thing that's been on my mind is the, our sudden jump into telemedicine, especially in Kentucky. And for children, I think that there are some opportunities now that we've all jumped in, some opportunities that we can um, take advantage of for things like um, better care for kids with chronic illness, better behavioral health care, things like that, using new modalities like telemedicine. But I think we need to be extremely intentional because we also know across the country that there have been um, some some um, dangerous things happening, especially with acute care for children using telemedicine. Um, so I think we just have to be extremely deliberate as we learn the technology and the payment models that we first and foremost look at safety and quality. Great. That, that's great advice. Uh, Veronica and Julia and Nikki in absentia, uh, I just want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, you were so thoughtful. You're such key leaders when it comes to navigating complex health systems at any time, but especially during this especially vulnerable time for families. Uh, we're looking forward to continuing to work with each of you uh, as we monitor how the pandemic impacts Kentucky's families, especially when it comes to health. Uh, listeners, as a reminder, you can stay up to date on our efforts around the impact of COVID-19 at kyu.org slash COVID-19. Finally, be sure to subscribe to the Making Kids Count podcast wherever you're listening. 
so you will never miss an episode on our series. And finally, just sort of a final editorial comment. You know, we're in a stage where a little thing means a lot. Uh, Mara Barley wrote a wonderful piece. If we just changed one word, distance to spaciousness. Listen, listen to her words. What if we thought about it as social spaciousness rather than social distance? Let's give each other space and grace to breathe, space to move, space to reach out, space to protect our siblings and grandparents and friends, space for rest, space for medicine making, space for prayer and ritual and magic, space for breath, for feelings, for tears, for laughter, for hope. Spaciousness and community care support strategic thinking and wise action. You know, that's what we're about at KYA, strategic thinking and wise action. When it comes to kids in the pandemic, whether it's in health, K-12, child welfare, we're counting on you listeners to make your voice heard in Frankfurt and Washington as we continue to watch out for kids across Kentucky. This is Terry Brooks. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Making Kids Count podcast with Terry Brooks. For more information and to listen to more episodes, visit kyyouth.org slash podcast. Kentucky Youth Advocates is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who doesn't accept government money so that we can remain truly independent. To support this podcast and our mission as the independent voice for Kentucky kids, please consider making a gift at kyyouth.org slash donate.